Welcome to Indivisible Westchester, the podcast. I'm Shannon Powell. Early voting is underway across New York. People are casting their votes this midterm election in a number of different races, including the hotly contested race for governor. There are also a handful of very close House races across the state that could help decide which party controls Congress and by what margin. One of those races, New York 17, is right here in Westchester. Early voting in New York is relatively new. It's only about three years old and is still somewhat of a novelty, but the numbers do tell a story about enthusiasm and turnout. And with so many competitive, high-profile races come concerns about protecting the right to vote. For more about all of this, we're joined today by Jarrett Berg. He's the co-founder and voting rights counsel at Vote Early New York. Thanks for joining us, Jarrett. Great to be with you. So early voting is underway. There seems to be a steady stream of voters at my polling station here in Westchester. We just had the first weekend of early voting. Tell me, what is turnout looking like so far? So with the, of course, caveat that every year in the four-year cycle is slightly different, uh, early voting in New York uh, rolled out for the first time in 2019. Of course, for the presidential, we got clobbered with the pandemic and an effort to expand those voting options uh, and make sure counties were maintaining their early vote sites. Uh, so it's, it's hard to figure out what the comparison is. Uh, but I did take a look at how that first, the first three days, the first weekend and the Monday of early voting went compared to 2020. Statewide, we're at about 50% of turnout. In the city, it's more like 40%. And outside the city, it's more like 60%. Um, and of course, that doesn't include folks who are voting by absentee uh, and, and, and doing the mail ballot process or drop off or waiting for election day. Uh, and although we've seen the voting methods, the means of like how you actually cast your ballot, we've seen that politicized, unfortunately, the past couple of years. Um, it's hard to draw too many conclusions uh, because those numbers don't include party affiliation, of course. And even with party affiliation, there is some crossover. Gotcha. I love early voting, though, because it, it just gives you so many options and there's so much flexibility and you never know what's going to happen on Election Day. Um on the whole, though, early voting is still new. You mentioned it, it's only been around since 2019. So what are some of the challenges that early voting advocates face moving forward? I mean, what else needs to be done to increase awareness so more people know about it and take advantage of it? So a big thing uh, for those of us who were in this space before there was early voting in New York uh, and really had to push and, and change some hearts and minds about the concept of moving away from a single election day, right, is explaining to people that when we expand the their options, when we create a, a reasonable uh, election period, uh, it, it makes the system run a lot smoother, uh, but people still have this idea that the election is is November 8th, right? Uh, and so we're trying to encourage people to get involved earlier in the process, make sure that their registrations were in order, uh, and then look at their options and figure out what would make the most sense for them. Um, and of course, with the layering on of the absentee voting option, uh, all of those decisions really should be made much earlier in the process. So encouraging New Yorkers to uh, start thinking of elections as uh, you know, something that, that that we do, not just at the last minute, not just on one random Tuesday, um, encouraging people to learn about these options is a big part of it. Uh, uh, in these first years, we still have work to do right-sizing these programs. 
Uh, there's been a major expansion of early voting this past year. Uh, so we have now over 400 early voting sites in the state. Um, counties like Westchester have 23 sites. Counties like Nassau and Suffolk just doubled their programs. Uh, they're now up to 27 sites thereabouts. Uh, they have more than a million voters. Uh, so those programs, that's a massive expansion. And even smaller counties that maybe had one or two sites, a lot of them have significantly expanded. We've seen Rockland expand, uh, almost doubling their program. Uh, there's also more hours. Uh, so we're now up to at least 72 hours, which really means more weekend hours uh, during the nine days. Um, this has not come with a state funding component. And I want to emphasize that because that plays into uh, the arguments of those who have opposed these reforms all along uh, that, that, you know, these are these are unfunded mandates. Um, they are not unfunded mandates uh, if we fund them. But uh, what's important is that we set a basic floor, a due process level, and we say this is what it means as an American, what your right to vote means here in New York. Uh, so it is really important that whether people hail from a a, a wealthy county or not, a uh, more populous county or not, that your right to vote uh, is, is not so dependent on factors like that. Um, so we have to do a better job resourcing these programs. And that means getting the state in the habit of funding the great expansions that they've, uh, that they've sent us. So I think it's interesting that you say that there are still people who oppose early voting. So that still is a thing. I, I find that, I guess, a, a little bit surprising. So uh, I, we, we hear these resource arguments um, and they're sort of these, these counterfactuals uh, and um, obviously I, I don't think they have much credence. We know that bipartisan administrators, it, it, they actually embrace early voting once these programs are in place, but change is difficult, change is scary. And especially if it doesn't come uh, with adequate funding uh, for folks who have been doing things a certain way for quite a long period of time, uh, these folks need to be dragged. Um, that said, it improves administration, uh, and we've seen that. I've seen that this cycle, but I've seen it in past cycles too since we've had early voting, right? We can discover the small hiccups that happen at the beginning of voting on maybe the first or second days of early voting uh, and, and knock those out before they uh, become major problems that can interrupt our our election and actually disrupt people's rights and the results. So the beautiful thing about early voting is it spreads out the turnout pattern, it reduces stress on administrators and the system as a whole, uh, and we can fix those things during the first weekend of early voting so that by the time we get to this coming weekend, it runs a lot smoother. Now think about those folks who are patriotic, they're dedicated, they sign up to be poll workers, they're not paid a lot of money, it's long hours, and they only do this a few times a year. Their performance by doing this every day with a team over the course of nine days and then into election day, it's, it accrues to the benefit of the program overall. The quality control goes way up uh, when we're not saying, hey, you haven't done this in a while, show up at 6 a.m. and let's just hope it all goes right. And by the way, millions of voters are going to be coming at that moment uh, to exercise their rights and there's no other real option for them. So uh, modern voting means we create a reasonable election period with good resourcing. We set up these teams for success uh, and then we encourage people to participate. We're really in countdown mode. I mean, election day is November 8th. What are the voting options and deadlines that people need to be aware of right now? So at this point, uh, if, if folks have not requested and received their mail ballot. Uh, we think it makes a lot more sense to be voting in person uh, during this early voting period. Uh, if you can make it to an early voting site, 
Uh, they, as I said, the program's expanded. Good options this week. There are evening hours. There are uh, at least 16 weekend hours coming up during this final weekend. And of course, you can still vote on election day as well. Uh, the election day hours are 6 a.m. to 9 p.m. and you're assigned to a single site. Uh, whereas during the early voting program, voters outside New York City could use any site in their county. Uh, that's a major uh, access benefit, and we think uh, it'll help a lot of people. So those are good options. Um, if a voter uh, cannot make it to the polls, uh, they can still go in person or send somebody as their representative with writing, right, a written uh, instruction to the Board of Elections to bring them a an absentee ballot. Uh, the deadline for getting those absentee ballots in, they must be postmarked by election day, uh, but you can drop those off. You can drop them off at any poll site, any early voting site. You can use the mail. You can bring it to your board of elections office. So those are the options to vote. Uh, and our registration deadline in New York uh, has already passed. So the uh, the roles are set, uh, but um, there's still ways that people can vote. And we encourage you to uh, check out our resource, VoteEarlyNY.org. Uh, or your county board website to look at your options, learn your rights, uh, and make a plan. Um, yeah, making a voting plan is so incredibly important. Let's talk a little bit about this absentee voting and the last-minute court challenges that the uh, voting process face faces, actually. Without getting too much into the weeds, can you explain what it was and where we're at right now? I will do my best. Uh, and and, little, and today, I know it's a little complicated. Yeah, so no, I appreciate to, it. But and, and that is part of the challenge, right? Is when there's last minute challenges to the rules, uh, and then you hear competing decisions and there's press reports, and some of those are they're doing their best to decipher thousands of pages of, of, of filings and stuff. It does create voter confusion and voter chaos. Uh, and frankly, I will say that that is a big chunk of the goal of this last minute litigation. Uh, so this was uh, conservative litigation. I think the appropriate term is lawfare. That is what this is. It's an effort to say uh, that uh, we want to change the rules that the legislature and the governor enacted over a year ago at this point to improve how we count votes uh, and protect the ballots. And of course, they're trying to go after the expanded absentee access uh, that was done during the pandemic based on the COVID experience, uh, but which was done really to usher in a modern uh, public health and voter access policy, uh, which I like to call voter access resiliency, right? We learned during 2020, we learned the hard way that because we didn't have these, these options in place, then when there's a, a bad storm or a bad virus or something like that, public health issue, a man-made issue, our system is vulnerable to that kind of manipulation if people don't have those sort of options. Uh, so what's going on now, and it's literally being argued today, as uh, lawyers from all around the state and from outside New York uh, are fighting this battle over what voter access means in New York. Uh, we encourage folks not to be distracted by this noise. Uh, and until we get some sort of some sort of judgment, uh, the, the information is the voting options are what they are. Um, and you still have these options to cast ballots in person. Uh, and if you requested an absentee ballot, there's that those are legitimate ballots uh, as long as you get them in timely. Um, and you sign your envelope, uh, you seal your envelope, you should be fine. Those ballots should count. 
So Jared, many of these New York races are very close. I mean, you, you got it. You have to look at the polls and uh, you know, be sometimes a little surprised at how close they are. Um, combine that with the ongoing threat to our democracy from these stop the steal types. Tell me, how important is protecting the right to vote this cycle, even in a state like New York? So uh, obviously, I think voter protection is one of the most important components of uh, of participation in our democracy. We need to make sure, right, the system only works. It's premised on the idea that it's consent of the governed. Well, we're all the governed, so who is giving the consent, right? And how do we do that? And we do that by voting. Um, voter protection is incredibly important. We've taken steps in New York to modernize the voting process. Part of this litigation you're talking about is an effort to attack uh, legitimate ballots from legitimate duly registered voters by coming up with all sorts of ways to challenge those ballots after the election, once you know where's the close contest and whose ballots, who cast what ballots and whose ballots could we be challenging. And of course, in, in the way we used to do things in New York, uh, there was no opportunity for a voter whose ballot was challenged to say, no, here I am. I, I am who I say I am. I wrote that. That's my signature. I cast that ballot. So uh, voter protection really helps make sure uh, that people are able to participate and that these little tricks um, and, and technicalities don't uh, frustrate and silent our voices. Uh, so it's incredibly important in other states, but uh, we are we are not immune here in New York to uh, pernicious efforts to restrict the franchise. And also, we know that our elections in New York need modernizing. It's a work in progress. So there are plenty of unintentional things that can happen uh, along the way, whether it's the way the DMV and the Board of Elections work together, whether it's the logistics of, in a place like New York City, deploying over 1,200 poll sites for, on Election Day Tuesday. That's bound to create some friction, right? And so if a poll site opens late and a voter's now waited until that last day to vote, that, that 20, 30 minutes might be the difference between them voting and not. So the goal of voter protection is to work hand in hand with the boards and to make sure that voters know their rights can exercise them and then to help troubleshoot on the fly in real time uh, if and when problems arise. So we talked about the ongoing litigation earlier, but what are some of the other red flags that you're seeing across the state when it comes to voter protection threats? So uh, there's there's a technology component to a lot of this stuff. And I mentioned sort of small hiccups that can happen during the beginning of the early voting period that should really all be worked out. Uh, but we did have on that first day uh, which which is not really surprising. Um, a number of like Wi-Fi and scanner and tech support issues. Uh, and uh, as I said, there's no reason to suspect that those, any one of them is necessarily nefarious. But if 20, 30 voters show up during that time to vote uh, and there's an issue with the printers or there's an issue with the connectivity of the poll books, that can hold people up. Um, putting that aside, uh, but uh, in, in that situation, they still had seven or eight additional days to vote, as well as Election Day. So there might have been some delays at the beginning, but that's not the sort of thing that uh, disenfranchises people in and of itself. Putting that aside, uh, we then have sort of pernicious activity. These, these have been one-off reports, but we are not living in a vacuum. We can turn on the news. We hear the incendiary stuff, um, the the. Uh, the violent attack on the Speaker of the House and her loved ones is the sort of thing that is, is part of the context of what we're living in. Um, so we have seen uh, 
the sort of loud, boisterous rally caravan type stuff. Uh, when that happens on the streets and far away from a poll site, it's less concerning to me. That's noise. It might be obnoxious. It's First Amendment sort of activity. Uh, we might not like the content of that, but I'm most concerned with uh, conduct that could directly disrupt poll sites and voting and that sort of thing, uh, whether it's happening from third parties or from folks at boards of elections. Uh, we have a commissioner in Rensselaer County who was indicted by the, F by, by the feds uh, a few, uh, just a few weeks ago. Uh, and uh, my understanding from all the press reports is this gentleman went back to the board uh, pending his, uh, his prosecution or whatever comes of that uh, to administer this current election. Um, the allegation there was that he used his power and manipulated the access he had uh, to issue and then maybe even cast absentee ballots uh, on behalf of voters who hadn't requested them. Of course, this is sort of that through the looking glass thing, the projection thing, right? This is the stuff that people who oppose voter access always hold up uh, and raise as a concern, but they always point that sort of uh, question mark and that, that they look askance at voters when really, in this case, it was an administrator misbehaving. So uh, we're looking at all that. We're looking at college campus poll siting as something that's critically important. Uh, we wanna make sure people know about these elections. Um, we've seen uh, boards uh, asking people for, for their date of birth when they go to vote. Uh, and, and when we've chased that down to try to figure out, you know, where that is in law and, and why they're doing it, uh, it sort of seems to evaporate. So uh, we're chasing down a whole bunch of issues and just trying to make sure the election is administered properly, um, which brings me back to three ways to vote. If voting is concentrated and limited to a single location at a single day, it is much easier to disrupt. And frankly, I would say that as we've expanded voting, if you look at the pushback and there is opposition to creating multiple means and ways for people to, to cast their ballot. Um, if you think about it in that vein, you realize that if people can mail their ballots, if they can vote early at multiple sites on multiple days, it's a lot harder to get in their way and disrupt the process and suppress people's rights. Uh, so we're fighting to make sure every eligible voter, regardless of who they're supporting, uh, has a plan, can cast their ballot uh, without that intimidation or, or any sort of difficulty along the way. My concern is that we might have races here in New York that are too close to call on election day. Candidates might not concede. Some may even challenge what are legitimate election results, and it could get ugly very quickly. How prepared are we for this kind of scenario? So I think New York is, is fairly well prepared for this. Um, although as a country, I, admittedly, we are in some uncharted territory, right? Uh, there's been a lot written about how concession as a political act in a democracy is such a key component uh, to what we all do here, right? To all of our collective sort of uh, buying into the credibility of the, the rule of law and the system we have. Um, and so concessions an important key, right? Uh, there are irregularities that happen in elections. Most of them are fairly small. And there's very few scenarios where those rise to the level of being so pervasive that it actually uh, changes the results of an election or calls, into, calls it into to doubt. Um, and despite the fact that that is incredibly rare, um, with very, very few and notable high-profile examples, right? You think back, you don't really hear about that sort of thing. Uh, there is this tendency now, I think, um, you know, with because of a lot of social media and, and uh, some amplification 
factors that didn't used to exist, where an easier route for a person who's lost an election might be to claim that it's the system or something was was nefarious or rigged or somehow it's not that their message didn't get out. It must be some some someone going after them and treating them unfairly. Um, that's fairly bogus. And uh, New York has some good procedures in place uh, to make sure that our results are are free and fair uh, and legitimate. We have close contest recounts. That's a fairly new law. So in the event of an actual very close contest, once all the legitimate ballots have been counted and the election's been certified, uh, if it's extremely co close, there'll now be a recount. Uh, we do have audits where they make sure that um, a certain percent of the machines uh, are reporting accurately. So I think that's incredibly important for folks to know too, uh, that when people get involved in the process and learn a little bit more about actual election administration, what they see uh, is that there is actually very good chain of custody uh, and good procedures in place to make sure that people can't vote twice uh, and that the, the paper, the, the certified result matches the ballots cast on election day um, and, and during the early voting period and absentee. Uh, so we have um, we have uh, we have good paper trail here in New York. We vote on paper ballots. Those are key components to this whole thing. Uh, one thing that's changed since 2020, uh, and this is the subject of that litigation, um, is the counting uh, is is happening on a rolling basis now. So on election night, the results that we see uh, that are reported out will include early voting, election day, and the absentee ballots that have come in. Uh, and been uh, been scanned on a rolling basis thus far. Uh, so there's still time for ballots to come in uh, after the fact from folks who are overseas uh, and to make sure that people who who mail them and have them postmarked that those are timely received. Uh, but we've we've improved the counting process uh, to make sure that the election night results uh, include a lot more of the election paper rather than sort of have that uh, that odd, purgatory period where then there's like a whole week and uh, that paper is just sitting there. It hasn't been counted uh, while we wait for other stuff to come in. Uh, so that's an improvement to the process. And that the, the, the improved counting is at the heart of one of these GO, GOP lawfare challenges. Uh, so they're actually trying to go back to that system uh, despite then on election night uh, two years ago, calling into question the ballots that came in or were counted thereafter. So it's a very cynical game that's being played here, uh, but we're trying to improve the system and make sure uh, that elections are free and fair and secure. And we do have a, a candidate who's running for governor who uh, did not, uh, he voted to overturn the results of the presidential election. That's the Republican candidate, Lee Zeldin. So I, I find that a, a big concern as well. Um, Jared, let's talk about what people can do to help protect the vote. What, if I'm listening to this, can I do? So uh, I think see something, say something is a big component of uh, New York voter protection. Uh, it's a big component of voter protection everywhere. Uh, the attorney general has a hotline that's set up uh, to take intake and the, their, their office has uh, got a robust team uh, that's responding in real time to these issues and making sure that uh, if there's a problem at a poll site, whether it's intentional, otherwise third parties brought on by the administrators, uh, that the election law is being administered fairly uh, and that people can cast their ballots. Um, I'd also encourage folks to get involved with uh, local voter protection efforts um, uh, you can reach out to your candidate of choice 
there's there's good programs uh, in these communities, uh, but it starts with the public, right? We need to protect our own civil rights. We can't expect that election officials or even our political officials are, are, are making sure that we have a plan to vote, right? So when we make a plan, we help make, make sure grandma has a plan and a ride to those polls, right? And then when we get to the polls, uh, we want to make sure that they're set up running smoothly. Is there signage, right? You might know how to get to that community center, but if if you're not sure, if it's a big parking lot, that sort of thing, uh, you can help by reporting ways that the pro that the uh, program could be improved. Uh, and in a lot of times, the boards I find are receptive to that sort of feedback. So um, I want to ask briefly um, your thoughts on election night and how quickly you think we will know what the results are going to be, especially looking at the top of the ticket, the race for governor. Do you think it's going to be a long night? What's your what's your vibe? It's just kind of your your gut feeling. I know it's hard to tell. Well, these days, making election predictions are uh, are <laughs> folly and that is not my business. Uh, but. Um, but I suppose I have thoughts. The first thing is uh, we 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 have this dependence on polling that I think has gotten to a, an unhealthy place. Whatever the original goals and the benefits of polling uh, for candidates and their consultants, I think uh, a lot of the this the sort of um, obsession we have with the horse race, I think it's misplaced. Right, a poll is a reflection at best on sentiment a couple uh, a week or two prior to that point. Uh, and then, you know, just even figuring out who is responding to a poll, how are these polls conducted, that sort of thing. Uh, and we're still reckoning with it, right? So um, I don't really think these polls tell us very much. Uh, and it doesn't really affect what needs to happen as a matter of turnout. If anything, it could it could depress turnout. If you hear that your candidate is 10, 20 points ahead, well, what do you need to go figure out a plan to vote for, right? Um, and of course, that's a terrible, cynical attitude. Uh, so the polls are not self-actualizing, right? We need people to participate in the democracy. Um, I think we will have election night results that are much closer to the actual results. What we saw two years ago, what we heard about was whether you want to call it a red mirage or uh, sort of that uh, blue shift, a blue tilt, that kind of stuff. Um, because we've made these changes in New York to how uh, absentee votes are processed, um, we, we think that uh, the election night results will be a lot closer because they will include uh, the early voting, the election day, and the absentee ballots that have come in uh, so far. Um, but when contests are close, and I do want to emphasize this, actually letting the administrators take the time to make sure that the results are accurate, to make sure that all ballots are counted, uh, to make sure that people have the opportunity to cure the small defects on their otherwise perfectly legitimate ballots. That's such an important part of the process. We worked hard to add those to the law. Uh, so if there's a close contest, um, I think uh, we all like instant gratification, instant results, that sort of thing. Uh, but that's a sign of the system working. It is not a sign that there's something awry. That's that's uh, that's great information. Very important to uh, to understand that. Jared, any final thought? I think it's easy in our current climate to lose hope or to feel like, gee, these forces, the good, the bad and the ugly are so powerful. What can I do with my one vote? Let us never forget that there are a lot of things we can't control, but the vote is the single most important tool we have individually 
and collectively as a community to affect change and achieve our priorities. And so please, 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 to anybody who cares uh, about this country, about the direction they wanna see it go in, do not lose sight of that basic fundamental point that you have these rights and that is your way to express uh, where you'd like to see us go as a country, as a society. Uh, so please don't lose heart. Don't be scared. There are lots of places and ways for you to exercise your rights uh, and make sure uh, make sure you make a plan and, and get out there uh, and then make phone calls and door knocks and tell your, your, your friends and loved ones to do the same. Jared, thanks so much. It's great advice. And I appreciate you joining us today. Pleasure to be with you. Thank you, Shannon. Thanks for listening to Indivisible Westchester, the podcast. Be sure to vote. Early voting continues through Sunday, November the 6th, and Election Day itself is on Tuesday, November the 8th. You can find more information on how to get involved at our website, indivisiblewestchester.org.